Happy Easter, friends. If I were to ask you this morning to tell me the Easter story, for, for you to tell me the Easter story. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking right now, that's your job. But if I were to ask you to tell me the Easter story, I wonder how many of you would be able to do it. I imagine that many of you would be able to do it, especially this morning, because you've, you've heard it. But what if I were to ask you to tell me the Easter story without referencing the cross or the empty tomb? Could you do that? If I ask you to tell the Easter story, how about this, without using any memory except for a memory that is personal to you. You, you. you tell me the Easter story, but tell it only using your own memories. Could you describe a memory for me that makes it clear why Easter is very good news for you? This, in a sense is the kind of story I think we're encountering here in this very rich, meaningful, and memory-filled moment in the life of Simon Peter from John 21. It is a story that is infused with powerful memory. Memories that give meaning to the moment and memories that desperately need to be highlighted and healed before this moment passes. The disciples had for some reason decided to go fishing. Peter had invited them to go fishing. Why? Because they were still evaluating their options? Because they were still trying to discern their career choices? Because they needed to do something familiar? Because they were hungry? Why did Peter want them to go fishing? They'd already witnessed the resurrected Jesus at least twice. And yet, now they need a distraction. Why? Well, if we pay close attention, I think what we'll see is even after the resurrection, there was something that was still off with Peter. So there was this longing for something familiar, this longing for something understood, this longing for something productive that might refocus his mind and his memory. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew about Peter what we all know about ourselves, I think, that even after the resurrection, even after we've placed our Easter faith in him, our Easter story isn't over yet. There's still more work that needs to be done and undone in our own souls. And this is what's happening here, especially with Peter. Jesus knows what the future holds for him and for them, and Jesus knows what still needs to be done and undone if Peter and the others are going to rise to meet the challenges of the future. And so the great physician does what he does. He slowly, gently, intently begins to offer and administer healing. And he does in a moment that is purposefully infused with the power of memory. All of these things, I don't know if you heard it, the night of unsuccessful fishing. The, the sense that this whole thing, staying up all night with Peter on this boat, was a waste of their ever-loving time. 
Until that moment when the sun began to rise and an unfamiliar but familiar silhouette calls out to them from the shoreline, Hey guys, why don't you try throwing your nets on the other side again? All of that, and then the miraculous near-net-splitting haul of fish was meant to help them recall an important memory. It was a recreation of their original call to follow Jesus. And perhaps this is all most of them needed. All most of them needed to move forward into the next phase of their life and ministry with Jesus, though Jesus knew that Peter needed more. And Peter knew it too. Deep down in his soul, he knew it almost instinctively. It is the Lord, John said, and the next sound they all heard was splash. Peter had taken off his clothes but put them back on and now he was diving into the water, bolting for the beach. And we know from the stories that we've read before that Peter is a little bit impetuous, but this seems like something more. Like he can't help himself. Like he's lost control. Like he needs something deep down in his soul that he knows only Jesus can give. Like he's carrying something still with him that only Jesus can lift. Because he is. It was a memory. It was a memory that he still had the scent of on his clothes. It should come no, as no surprise to any of us this morning that memory can be powerfully triggered by smells, familiar smells. You may have already experienced something like this this morning, the smell of ham or rolls or maybe even ham rolls cooking in the oven, of pies, of, of some special dish, a smell that's more than appetizing, it's comforting because in its presence it reminds you of that scent when it happened in that room with those people at that other time even in this new moment the smell links them together interweaves them together interlocks them together so that that moment is connected to this moment because of the power of scent that's what's happening here with Peter. <clears throat> a few nights earlier, you may remember, on the night Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, there was a distinct smell that had stayed with Peter. Jesus had them for that supper, and then in this crucial moment, Jesus indicated that things were about to get tough, tougher than they had ever been before, and he wanted them to know that before all of that happened, and he wanted them to actually understand how he already knew they were going to respond. Some would abandon him. Some would betray him. Some would deny him. Not me, Lord, Peter shouted. I'll never do that. But of course, Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. And so he said, I tell you the truth, friends. Peter, before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, 
but three times. Peter didn't believe it, but Peter did do it. You know, in Jerusalem, right outside of Pilate's prison, Craig will remember, we were there last summer, there is this life-size bronze statue in the area where Jesus was beaten of a little girl standing by a fire with a terrified and trembling Peter lingering nearby. Can you smell what that might have been like? Can you recall the smell of a campfire, the scent of a charcoal grill? Can you recall what that's like and what memories that might bring up for you? There are powerful memories that are associated with smell. I wonder if you have any of those this morning. And there is a certain kind of memory that might even be paired with a certain kind of smoke. A certain kind of smoke, in fact, reminds me usually of my grandfather. He was, some of you know, a candy salesman and a tobacco salesman, and he smoked what he was selling. He's one of those guys. He was kind of a human chimney. In his later years, I would actually sit with kind of an intermingling of amusement and fear as he puffed off of his cigarette, his Winston, his Marlboro Reds, and then off his oxygen machine. That's not really safe. But you know, it wasn't, it wasn't even as sad as it sounds because it was so true. It was a little scary, but it was, it was true to him how he was. It wasn't surprising for me to find him smoking anywhere. In fact, it was so normal for me, I never would have thought it was weird. Imagine, if you will, this morning, this Easter morning, if you had been walking up, maybe not through these doors, but out those doors, and standing there with a smile on her face, talking to the people beside her, greeting the people who were coming. Sue Wright was there puffing a cigarette. (laughs) This is exactly the posture my grandfather held every single Sunday. Sitting in that position in front of his church, greeting people who would come up. It seemed crazy to people who didn't know him, but it seemed completely normal to me. I didn't even think about it. It was the smell of who he was, and that smell went with him everywhere, as smoke does. Smoke gets into your nostrils, but not just there. It gets onto your skin. It gets onto your clothes. My grandfather's pickup smelled like smoke. His house was infused. The walls were infused with layers of smoke. So that when someone walks by me now and they've been smoking, I sometimes get a subtle whiff of my grandfather. To me, there is a certain kind of smoke that smells like my grandfather. And to Peter, there was a certain kind of smoke that smelled like deep, abiding shame. For on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, Peter's worst and weakest self was exposed for the world to see right by a charcoal fire. And the smell of that fire The shame and the guilt and the betrayal and the denial and the disloyalty and the weakness was all over him. He couldn't shake it. 
It was in his hair and it was, it was there when he woke up that morning and heard the news from Mary. Maybe that's what caused him to bolt out the door. The same thing that caused him to bolt off that boat toward the beach where he swam. Perhaps hoping that some of the scent was being washed off of him as he went, but it didn't matter. Because as soon as he got to that beach, it hit him again more powerfully than ever before. Jesus had made sure of it. You know, there are only two places in the entire New Testament where that Greek word for charcoal fire in this text appears. Right here, and on the night by that fire where Peter denied Jesus three times. Memories can be so powerful. In beautiful ways and in debilitating ways, sometimes our memories can get stuck and we can get stuck in them. And sometimes the help we need to experience Christ's life in us can only come through the recalling and the healing of our memories. Military psychologists know this as they've studied soldiers who struggle with PTSD. That there are memories that can somehow get stuck in a place in our brains so that when the soldier hears the car backfire, it takes them right back to that place where the ammunition went off and they hit the deck. And so they've learned in ways being with these soldiers how to lovingly and gently and empathetically move those memories into a place where they are memory, where they've been emptied of their power and healing can occur. Is that what's going on here? I think so. That and a whole lot more. It's no coincidence, see, that Jesus built a fire with the same kind of smoke. It's no coincidence that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him and commissioned him not once, not twice, but three times. The two moments are interwoven. They are linked intentionally. Jesus knows more about the power of memory than anyone else. And Jesus knows about the importance of deep healing more than anyone else. And Jesus knew that Peter loved him. And we even hear Peter saying he believed that Jesus knew Peter loved him. But did Peter believe it? Did Peter trust it? Did he trust himself? Did Peter even know who he was anymore? No, he didn't. In fact, Peter may have believed in Jesus, but he surely didn't believe in Peter. He believed in Jesus, but he also believed something else that he never quite owned until that moment by the fire, that he was broken and that he was weak, and that even though he believed in Jesus, he was certain he was no, he was no longer worth Jesus' belief in him. Sometimes we have to get to that moment. Because really, are any of us worthy? This story tells us that Jesus thinks so. So that in this moment infused with memory, Jesus made sure Peter knew so. Because he knew that in the days ahead, things were only going to get harder. And he knew when things got hard for Peter, Peter would need to remember 
Not only what Jesus had done for him, but that Jesus loved him and believed in him. This moment is often called the restoration of Peter, and it certainly is. But it's more than just the restoration of Peter's calling. It's more than just the restoration of Peter's place or station in the kingdom of God. No, there was something in Peter that needed to be healed before they moved forward. There was something in Peter that he still needed to believe even after the resurrection. Jesus had always seen it from the very first moment and Jesus had always known that for it to be healed in Peter, Peter would have to see it too. Would have to be confronted by it as well if he was ever going to own it. If you ask Peter to tell the story of Easter without talking about the cross or the empty tomb, only with his own memories, I think he'd tell you about this moment. When the smell of shame became the scent of forgiveness. About this moment when the scent of betrayal became the smell of reunion and radical welcome. About this moment when the scent of brokenness became the smell of restoration. About this moment when the scent of denial became the overwhelming smell of abiding love and grace. When the smell of charcoal was transformed from the smell of shame into the smell of the Gospel. Jesus redeemed the smell and Jesus redeemed the, me- the memory and Jesus redeemed Peter too. I wonder if you have any memories like that, any wounds like that, that you might need for Jesus to recall and heal. We believe in Jesus. But maybe we're not so sure that Jesus should believe in us. We came here this morning to celebrate Easter and we know there is still some Easter healing that we need the risen Christ to offer to us. Christ is risen. Indeed. And we are keenly aware that even after the resurrection, there are places in our own soul where the work of Christ needs to be done and where Christ needs to undo some things as well. So that we can come to truly believe what Jesus believes and says and does for each and every single one of us. Some of you have stories you're telling yourself, and there are memories that are deeply embedded. Sights and sounds and smells that tell you you are broken, that you are unworthy, that you are not enough. as we linger in these moments of Easter worship, may you listen for the voice of Jesus as grace also sings these words of gospel over us.